Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this Saturday's Cosmic Creating Show. As you probably know by now, I'm now doing two shows a week. One on a Wednesday, which goes out at 6pm Eastern. And of course my usual Saturday show, which is 5pm Eastern. So if you want to catch me live and join the chat room, if you're listening to this as a recording, uh, you can go to cosmicreality.com forward slash radio dot html. And um, today is the 5th of March 2022. And the title of today's show is Prophecies, Russia, Ukraine and Devolution 18. And just before I start, you can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com. I'm still on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. So before I get started, I want to A, thank you for listening, but also to thank the people that send me links to really useful topics that I can cover cover on the show. So I'm always very happy to receive those tips as to good videos or good articles. And either do them over email to jan at the successalchemist.net or you can message me on Facebook or even a DM on Twitter. So um, please, yeah, continue to do that. I really appreciate it. So I'm going to start with some prophecies. And this is from a video I was recommended to watch, which is from... The Geordie Psychic, Psychic LJ. And if you don't know what a Geordie is, obviously you're not from the UK. <laughs> a Geordie comes from the Newcastle area in the northeast of the UK. And she generally does um, readings with her crystal ball. But I think this one was more of a channeling. And I'm just going to give you the key points that she covered. Um, Tulsi Gabbard. Now, she spoke at CPAC, and there were some people up in arms about that because she's also been linked to the WEF, of course, the World Economic Fund. And so people are very sceptical about her being actually one of the deep state players. She does, she has been very vocal against a lot of the things that the Democrats are trying to push through. So... Who knows? She seems... I always liked her when she was running for the presidential nomination. But anyway, um, according to Psychic LJ, she's changed sides from Democrat to Republican. Probably explains her appearance at CPAC. The Democrat Party will be no more. So that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, given that they're... Their term in office so far has been absolutely disastrous. Interestingly, Charles, Prince Charles, will never be king. And LJ suggested that was related to Queen Elizabeth's death. Now, I don't know what specifically she's talking about. As far as I'm aware, uh, the Queen is still alive. Um, and actually, I just did a quick search on DuckDuckGo and apparently somebody put out a tweet saying she was dead and it was debunked, basically, saying it was misinformation. But then, you know, we've seen um, num numerous occasions when something has been announced and then backtracked on or something's been deleted. So who knows, in this case, maybe she is dead, although... You know, for us conspiracy theorists, she's probably been done a long time, uh, taken down by the deep state. Sorry, by the White Hats. Uh, LJ goes on to say, justice will prevail. The dominoes continue to fall. The deep state are desperate. In vol 
In terms of volcano eruptions, it's um, symbolic that truth is erupting. Um, there is going to be a Yellowstone eruption, but it will not be a massive one. Um, New Zealand will have an earthquake. Uh, changes are happening all over the world. 2022 is the year of victory. I certainly hope so. We've been waiting long enough. The truth sets you free and stay positive. Don't get dragged into the um, propaganda that's being spewed out by the mainstream media. Okay, so that's that's basically a summary of what she prophesied from her channeling. I'm just going to cover one or two main headlines without going into detail, just in terms of the latest on the Russia-Ukraine situation. And uh, before I go on to Devolution 18, I'm also going to read the beginning of the channeling on of Matthew Ward by his mother. I know um, you often get this on the Say What show, but this was specifically related to Russia and Ukraine. So I just wanted to cover the first bit of this. Um, in terms of the headlines, Ukraine is not getting backing from NATO or the EU. And in fact... Um, the NATO has actually refused to give Ukraine membership of the NATO, of NATO. Uh, Zelensky actually asked for fast track membership and support, um, but he's not going to get it. As I said, the support for Ukraine is evaporating. They're not getting the physical or military support that they wanted. Pelosi was caught saying, unfortunately for us, we can't go in militarily and changed that to unfortunately for the situation, which is a reminder that Pelosi's son, along with Biden's son, Kerry's son, Romney's sons, are all involved in Ukraine energy companies. Um, you know, if you want to know what's the good side to support look at who's supporting each side so you've got soros and uh pelosi and biden and the list goes on all supporting ukraine why is that you know is that a good indication that ukraine is the right side to support i don't think so um putin continues to offer talks um Ukraine will become free of deep state players as they flee from Russian action. Some of these come from X-22 reports, which you know I'm a fan of. Ukraine is a center for human trafficking, bioweapons, and adrenochrome, which is linked to these biolabs. And actually so is Taiwan. So people are speculating that... Um, this conflict between Russia and Ukraine will be followed by um, Xi Jinping invading Taiwan. And I've heard from many sources that Putin and Xi Jinping and Trump are working together with the alliance and they are taking out the deep state in Ukraine. It's um, definitely a sex trafficking child trafficking center and that Xi Jinping as part of the alliance will also do the same thing in Taiwan so that'll be interesting to see what will happen because you know will the deep state players stand up for China or Taiwan who will have to wait and see because there'll definitely be something of a conflict there in fact, it was X-22 that said China will invade Taiwan to remove the corruption and the biolabs and potentially will expose the deep state who will not call out China or support the underdogs Taiwan, which will be a, a very interesting state of affairs given their stance on Ukraine and Russia. So we'll have to see what happens there and if this invasion, in in quotes, happens from China. So moving on to Matthew's um, message, and this is from March 3rd. You can find it at matthewbooks.com. And there is a reading from uh, Matthew done every month at the beginning of the month. 
Uh, with loving greetings from all souls at this station, this is Matthew. Let us begin with the assurance that all major happenings are right on target with the divine plan to liberate Earth from all vestiges of darkness. Although much of the action still is behind the scenes, some is quite obvious, but the public doesn't recognise it as the significant progress it is, such is the case with Russia and Ukraine. As mentioned in a previous message, the person seen as Vladimir Putin is the look-alike double who replaced the Russian president about two years ago when the Illuminati finally were able to assassinate Putin because he consistently refused to cooperate with them. They portrayed him in mainstream media as a murderous dictator because he eliminated their operatives in Russia and they accused him of horrible things they themselves did. What is important in this moment is that the double, initially one of the Rothschild puppets, now is working with and protected by the light forces. Russians are not wantonly bombing cities as reported by mainstream media and often depicted by old or photoshopped photos and film clips. They are destroying laboratories that produce and store bioweaponry and other Illuminati entrenchments but like most of the rest of the world's people, the Ukrainians don't know that and they are frightened, anxious and sad. Even if they knew about the strategic targets, explosions and foreign troops still will be traumatising. Later on, they will know the truth about what is happening and some among the hundreds of thousands who are leaving the country already do. They have been working with the Illuminati in time, all peoples will know that what some say is an unprovoked war or a dangerous invasion has another purpose too. It will reunify a population that was separated when new borders were established to put regions with abundant natural resources under the control of Illuminati-installed democratic governance. governance and democratic is in quotes, i.e. not. The article does go on, but I'm not going to cover the rest of it because it's not quite, um, you know, in, in line with the, the focus of this show. One thing I will say, though, before I go on to the devolution article, is that um, a day or so ago, Republican Lindsey Graham tweeted and also repeated on, on Fox News a call for Putin to be assassinated, which is really the most idiotic and inflammatory thing, uh, totally irresponsible. But it's interesting, somebody did a decode of Pelosi's really weird gestures at the State of the Union address, where she was rubbing her knuckles together. And apparently that is the sign language for a bath. And this was then linked to this concept of wet works. And if you remember, um, Biden said something really weird at the end of the speech saying, go get him or go get him. And people assumed it was a gaffe that he was repeating something over his headphone, which was basically his handlers saying, go get him. In other words, get him from the podium. But... Um, this was interpreted by um, certain anons, I can't remember who it was exactly, basically saying that Bath represented wet work, which is a term, and I think it originated in, uh, in, to do with Russia, it's a term that means uh, you're going to assassinate or murder somebody. So the question is, was Pelosi giving the sign to say, go get Putin and take him out? Um, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, we've, we've seen reports that Zelensky has escaped three assassination attempts. How true that is, is questionable as well. So what... Lindsey Graham was saying to me was very indicative of who he is he was always in cahoots with John McCain you know no name as he's called and also there's a photo of McCain and Lindsey Graham in Ukraine so that puts a big question mark over him but Lindsey Graham's finished I think from a political point of view because he's really shown that he's a rhino through and through and deep state too.
So that was good news from Matthew. And now I'm going to move on to Patel Patriots Devolution 18. And you can follow him at patelpatriot.substack.com. And these articles are really long. I'll try and squeeze it all in. Um, but obviously he puts a lot of work into these. So I'm very thankful for all the work that he's done. Now, the title of this one is The Proof is in the Putin. <laughs> Play on words of the proof is in the pudding. And he says, special thanks for this article. Go to the Kate Awakening on Telegram and pa Patrick Gunnels on Rumble. And it's got a photo, and I think I referenced this last week or on Wednesday, of uh, Putin and Trump, where Putin is handing him this soccer ball. And we've speculated that this contained like a thumb drive or, or data which included all of the bleach bit uh, Hillary Clinton emails. But basically, um, Trump has been saying all along, we have it all, we caught you. So we'll see. There's been endless speculation on the topic of whether or not Trump could be working with Putin to take down the deep state. I've become somewhat annoyed over the constant media lies about Putin and his, his invasion of Ukraine. It's also difficult to combat the mainstream narratives when we don't have the full picture of what's really going on. I'm not trying to use this article to convince you that Putin is a good guy. He has done some questionable things as a leader. What I can tell you is that he is extremely patriotic to the country he rules over. Um, and Time magazine managing editor Richard Stengel in 2007 said he's not a good guy, but he's done extraordinary things. He's a new czar of Russia and he's dangerous in the sense that he doesn't care about civil liberties. He doesn't care about free speech. He cares about stability. But stability is what Russia needed and that's why Russians adore him. He is first and foremost the leader that Russia needs, just as Trump is the leader America needs. Allow me to show that Putin and Trump may indeed have a mutual interest in working together. As always, we need some context first. Colour me surprised. It shouldn't surprise you that Putin, much like Trump, has had a run-in with the Colour Revolution playbook throughout his tenure at the helm of Russia. What is a Colour Revolution? Colour revolutions are one of the newest models of state destabilisation. They allow external actors to plead plausible deniability when accused of illegally interfering in the domestic affairs of a sovereign state, and their mass mobilisation of, in quotes, people power, renders them highly effective in the eyes of the global media. Additionally, the conglomeration of large numbers of civilians protesting the government also increases pressure on that said government and limits its options in effectively dealing with the ongoing destabilisation. All colour revolutions closely follow the same template and understanding the nature of this applied tactic of destabilisation will allow states to craft suitable countermeasures against it. I covered the topic of colour revolutions in Devolution Part 12 and laid out how our own State Department was at the centre of numerous, if not all, colour revolutions around the world. Keep in mind that Barack Obama had two Secretaries of State, Hillary Clinton, January 21st, 2009, to February 1st, 2013, and John Kerry, February 1st, 2013, to January 20th, 2017. Most of what I discuss in part 12 is how a colour revolution was perpetrated against President Donald Trump. For the purposes of this article, we need to understand how such revolutions have affected Russia. In Devolution part 12, I mentioned Norm Eisen and his colour revolution playbook, literally titled The Playbook. However, Norm is not the godfather of colour revolutions. That title belongs to Gene Sharp. This combination of tactics used in so-called colour revolutions did not come from nowhere. Before Norm Eisen came Gene Sharp, originator and godfather of the colour revolution model that has been a staple of US government operations externally and now internally for decades. 
Before Norm Eisen's playbook, there was Gene Sharp's classic, From Dictatorship to Democracy, which might be justly described as the Bible of the colour revolution. Such is the power of the strategies laid out by Sharp that Lithuanian defence minister once said of Sharp's preceding book, upon which dictatorship to democracy builds, that I would rather have this book than the nuclear bomb. And it's got an image of Gene Sharp. It would be impossible to do full justice to Gene Sharp within the scope of this specific article. Here are some choice excerpts about Sharp and his biography to give readers a taste of his significance and relevance to this discussion. I'm not going to read the whole of these, I'm just going to pick out some key points. Gene Sharp, the Machiavelli of nonviolence, has been fairly described as the most influential American political figure you've never heard of. Sharp, who passed away in January 2018, was a beloved yet mysterious intellectual giant of non-violent protest movements, the father of the whole field of the study of strategic non-violent action. His how-to pamphlet on non-violent revolution from dictatorship to democracy has been translated into over 30 languages and is cited by protest movements around the world. Gene Sharp's influence on the US activist left and social movements abroad has been significant. Uh, he's better understood as one of the most important US defence intellectuals of the Cold War. In the mid-60s, Thomas Schelling, a Nobel Prize winning nuclear theorist, recruited 29-year-old Sharp to join the Centre for International Affairs at Harvard, bastion of the high Cold War defence intelligence and security establishment. Leading the so-called CIA at Harvard were Henry Kissinger, future National Security Advisor George Bundy, and future CIA Chief Robert Bowie. And we know um, Kissinger is deep, 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 deep state. So carry on with the article. A December of 2018 Politico article went even further discussing the impact of Jean's book, From Dictatorship to Democracy, and detailed its impact on Russia. Perhaps no country has been influenced as much by Jean's work as Russia. In the early 1990s, his books were used to plan the non-violent civilian defence of Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia against the Soviet Union's attempts to crush their independence. The Lithuanian defence minister declared afterwards... I would rather have this book than the atomic bomb. Just months later, photocopiers around Moscow were pressed into action to distribute Jean's guidelines to the cities protesting the 1991 hardline coup against Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. In the years that followed, the Kremlin faced the indignity of the colour revolutions in Georgia, Kyrgyzstan and Ukraine, whose leaders were armed with copies of From Dictation dictatorship to democracy, which in turn cut more flesh from the bones of the former Soviet empire. If you think Jean's influence might be overplayed, just read Vladimir Putin advisor Vladislav Surkov's comments from the 2011 anti-government protests in Moscow. This is so by the Jean Sharp book. It's funny, he told reporters. Just months later, Jean was put on a list of most dangerous threats to the Russian state, and many Russian television news shows discussed his malign influence in hyperbolic tones. A major paper given by the Russian Institute of Strategic Studies and Predictions in 2015 concluded Gene Sharp's publications can be seen as part one of the United States Hybrid War Field Manual. In Devolution Part 17, I covered the timeline of the 2014 colour revolution in Ukraine, but let's take another look at it. November 2013, Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych refuses to sign the EU Free, Tri Free Trade Agreement. January 2014, Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych and Russian President Vladimir Putin announced the signing of an economic deal. February 2014, Viktor Yanukovych is ousted as president of Ukraine. February 2014, Russia considers the overthrow of Yanukovych to be an illegal coup, invades Ukraine 
resulting in the annexation of Crimea. Remember, Ukraine is at the epicentre of the deep state corruption. Reread Devolution Part 17, which I covered last week, to get an idea of how that corruption unfolded. But Yanukovych was a pro-Russian president of Ukraine, and after he made a deal with Russia, he was overthrown and Putin was not pleased. Putin and the Russian military viewed the US and Europe as attempting to destabilise the world for their own agendas. Anthony Cordsman, the Emeritus Chair in Strategy for the Centre for Strategic and International Studies, wrote an article in May of 2014 titled Russia and the Colour Revolution, which detailed their views on the threat of colour revolutions, a Russian military view of a world destabilised by the US and the West, and it was May 28, 2014. Again, I'm just going to pick out the key points here. Key Russian officers and officials presented a view of the US and the West as deliberately destabilizing nations in North Africa, the Middle East and the rest of the world for their own ends. Putin clearly had a very negative view towards color revolutions. He even accused some high-level United States officials of attempting one against him. For that story, we need to fully dig into the individual of which this article is focused, and there's an image of Putin riding a horse. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin. Somebody has already provided us with some great information regarding Putin, and it comes from a Substack article written by a gentleman named Beernuts underscore 71. He has written numerous articles and his analysis is brilliant. I highly recommend you give his work a proper read. The article of his I will be sharing screenshots from is titled Trump's Winter Soldier. Vladimir Putin was born in Leningrad, Russia in 1952 and is the youngest of three boys. His oldest brother died as an infant and his other brother died of diphtheria during the German siege of Leningrad in World War II. His father was severely wounded in 1942, his grandmother killed by German occupiers of the Tver region, more on that later, and both of his uncles never returned from the Eastern Front. To say that Putin's early life was impacted by World War II and Nazi Germany would be a gross understatement. It was ravaged. I find this to be curious behaviour for a boy so hurt by the Germans. At age 12, he began to practice Sambo and Judo. Putin studied German at St. Petersburg High School, 281, and speaks German fluently. That's from Wikipedia. And it's worth mentioning, I I read his uh, speech, Putin's speech, last week, and that was talking about what had happened during World War II to Russia. Um, I don't think I actually included that particular part but definitely it's worth looking at that link that will have been shared in the description of the show. Carrying on also of note is that unlike most of the other students in his class he never joined the Young Pioneer Organization. This would be the Russian equivalent of the Hitler's Youth Organization in Germany. Put yourself in his shoes The Germans severely wounded your dad, kill your grandmother and uncles, and yet you go and learn German and speak it fluently? I wonder what those dinner table conversations were like. Putin went on to study law at the Leningrad State University from 1970 to 75. It is curious that his thesis was on the most favoured nation trading principle in international law. Pardon me if I am the only one that finds that to be a subject more suited for someone like Donald Trump to write. This interest in global trade I believe to be a foreshadowing of behaviour to come. By the way, during this time Putin was required, did not volunteer, to join the Communist Party. In 1999, Putin described communism as a blind alley far away from the mainstream of civilization, And that was a quote from Wikipedia. So Patel Patriot continues, I'll come back to reference more of this article again multiple times, but we need to get more context first. It may surprise you to hear this, but the mainstream media has not been telling us the truth about Vladimir Putin. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) 
They tell the stories that make him out to be a villain because that is what benefits the political establishment. And since the MSM is the propaganda wing of the political establishment, it makes sense for them to paint Putin in a negative light. But the media respected him at one time. And it's got a screenshot of Putin is Time magazine's person of the year. Um, and this was back in December 2007. Um, Washington Reuters Time magazine named Russian President Vladimir Putin in its person of the year for 2007 on Wednesday, saying he had returned his country from chaos to the table of world power, though at a cost to democratic principles. Time magazine said on its website that Putin, the son of a factory worker whose grandfather cooked for Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin, had led Russia with persistence, a sharp vision and a sense that he embodied the spirit of Mother Russia. Putin and national pride. Kremlin deputy spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Time's choice was an acknowledgement of Putin's role in helping Russia regain its national pride, but rejected the magazine's concerns about freedom in Russia as a product of stereotypes of the past. Putin spent more than two hours in an interview with Time, according to the Kremlin, which described the session as an interesting conversation. He was really satisfied, said Peskov, who stressed that Russia had re-emerged as a constructive and reliable partner in shaping international relations under Putin's leadership. But its, turn to in, its return to international status has also led to complicated relations between Putin and the United States on issues including US efforts to pressure Iran about its nuclear program. Obviously, he's a very intriguing figure in modern history, said White House spokeswoman Dana Perino, who otherwise declined to comment on time selection. After meeting Putin for the first time in 2001, President George W. Bush said, I looked the man in the eye. I found him to be very straightforward and trustworthy. But Putin and the White House have since clashed in several areas, including democratic reform in Russia and U.S. plans for a missile shield in Eastern Europe. In February, Putin accused the United States of trying to dominate the world. The selection came days after Putin announced a plan to hold on to power after his term ends next year. Putin said on Monday that if his close ally Dmitry Medvedev won the presidency, he would serve as Medvedev's prime minister. Putin has put his country back on the map and he intends to redraw it himself, Time said. He will continue to lead his country as its prime minister and attempt to transform it into a new kind of nation beholden to neither East nor West. And then a March 30th, 2007 article from CNN says, but Putin says he plans to remain an influence anyway. How so? And it's highlight, uh, Patel Patriots highlighted, I will manage to retain the most important thing that a person involved in politics must cherish, your trust. And using that, you and I will be able to exert influence on the life of our country and guarantee its development. And Patel Patriot says, I found this quote to be extremely interesting and fitting, especially when you look at what Trump has done since he has left office. That's in quotes, the left office bit, by the way. Continued, why is Putin so popular? Putin is credited with bringing stability after the roller coaster ride of the post-Soviet years, which saw state industries sold off cheaply, soaring inflation and millions dumped into poverty and economic mismanagement and chronic corruption. And while Russia has continued to embrace market capitalism, Putin has displayed sensitivity towards the Soviet past still remembered fondly by many, restoring the stirring Soviet anthem with revised words and the iconic communist star as the Russian army symbol. And then it talks about Putin's reputation abroad. Putin is seen as a cool, spiky character and a staunch defender of Russian interests, though he has built good personal relations with the likes of US President George W. Bush and former German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder. He also seems to enjoy stirring up controversy. At last year's EU-Russia summit in Finland, Putin told 
diplomats, Russia would not be lectured on organised crime by Italy, commenting mafia isn't a Russian word. And Putin created headlines by describing Israeli President Moshe Katsav, who stepped aside during an investigation into multiple rape charges, as a really powerful guy. He didn't look like a guy who could be with ten women. Uh, Stablemates, this is Battelle Patriot continuing, now Trump and Putin have had an interesting and almost playful relationship. As you'll see, Trump even considered themselves stablemates. I'm going to focus on Trump's comments on Putin prior to the summer of 2016, when the accusations of Trump colluding with Russia began to circulate. This CNN article has 80 total quotes from Trump regarding Putin. So I will narrow it down quite a bit. And it's 80 times Trump talked about Putin. And I'm going to pick out the key ones from here. Uh, October 11th, 2015, Trump said on CBS's Face the Nation that he and Putin had a fantastic, had fantastic ratings on 60 Minutes together and again said he thought they'd get along well. November 10th, 2015, asked a Republican debate what he would do as president in response to Russian aggression. Trump said, well, first of all, it's not only Russia. We have problems with North Korea where they actually have nuclear weapons. He went on to say, I got to know Putin very well because we were both on 60 Minutes and we did very well that night. We were stable mates. But if if Putin wants to knock the hell out of ISIS, I'm all for it 100% and I can't understand how anybody would be against that, he added. And then February 15, 2016, Trump says at a news conference he'd be a better negotiator with Putin than his rivals. These are just a few examples from well before Trump became president. More recently, we've seen the reports of Trump commenting on what Putin is doing currently in Ukraine. Trump calls Putin genius and savvy. Trump has a great deal of respect for Putin and it seems as though that respect is mutual. The Great Reset. Let's continue on with more from Birnett's underscore 71 article, The Winter Soldier. After college, Putin would go on to serve the KGB in counterintelligence and a translator in East Berlin before the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's important to understand Putin's upbringing because it serves to explain his unique perspective and subsequent manoeuvres. Putin recognised the rise and the impending dangers of globalism long before any of us. And another quote from Wikipedia, Putin has promoted explicitly conservative politics, policies sorry, in social, cultural and political matters, both at home and abroad. Putin has attacked globalism and neoliberalism and is identified by scholars with Russian conservatism. What is Russian conservatism? I am glad you asked. The Izborsky Club defines it this way. Russian nationalism, the restoration of Russia's historical greatness, systematic opposition to liberal ideas and policies. This is the Russian version of MAGA, folks. These principles are the exact reason that Putin and Trump are so hated by the globalists. Jeffrey Kuhner of the World Tribune explained it best. Americans' transnational elites despise Putin for one simple reason. He is not a globalist. He goes on to state, hence Russia's problem is not its authoritarian regime. Rather, it is because Putin is a major obstacle to the relentless march of globalism. Putin is an ethno-nationalist, who champions orthodox Christianity and a resurgent great Russia. He is opposed to the European Union and NATO enlargement. He seeks to defend vital Russian interests, whether in Syria, Crimea or Ukraine. In short, he is implacably opposed to liberalism's holy trinity of open borders, mass immigration and multiculturalism. Putin's real sin is that he will not bow to the gods of the new world order. That is why Putin has become public enemy number one. And Patel Patriot goes on, I want to focus on one section from above because it's where we get the first glimpse of the foundation of a Trump-Putin alliance. Both despise globalism and the global elite. We know Trump is all about putting America first and you can easily find numerous articles on that topic. 
Here is just one of his anti-globalism quotes featured in Devolution Part 16. This came in his address to the United Nations on September 22, 2020. For decades, the same tired voices proposed the same failed solutions, pursuing global ambitions at the expense of their own people. But only when you take care of your own citizens will you find a true basis for cooperation. This November 2015 article from Euromaiden Press explains Putin's stance on globalism the best. Putin creating an anti-globalist international in Europe, Pastakov says. Vladimir Putin is creating an anti-globalist international of those who see no good future for themselves in the new world and thus hope to guarantee that nothing will ever change, Vladimir Pastukov says, and he hopes to use this ideology to link up with others abroad to overcome Russia's isolation and restructure the world. And the one part I want to focus on which has been highlighted is Putin's Russia has become the world leader of anti-globalism. So we know both Trump and Putin share a common ground in their belief in anti-globalism. This is how we know they share a common enemy. The global elite want nothing more than to pursue a globalist agenda in what they call a Great Reset. Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum openly promote this agenda on their website. The method used by the deep state to achieve their global ambitions is to use colour revolutions to install leaders who will further their agenda. Putin and Trump stand vigorously opposed to that agenda, which is why they are seen as such threats. It also explains the Russian collusion story. Bernat 71 said it best. Is it any wonder why Russia was the subject of a Trump collusion hoax? Why not kill two birds with one stone? They could have just as easily concocted a, Ch- a Trump-China collusion. Putin poses a direct threat both economically and logistically to the globalist. His relentless pursuit of restoring Russia and his undying nationalism is rivaled only by Trump's desire to make America great again, which brings us to the Ukraine. The Wild West The 2012 election in Russia plays a major role in this story. Putin served as president of Russia from 2000 to 2008 and stepped away due to the Russian constitutional limit preventing him from serving more than two consecutive terms. And consecutive is highlighted. After serving as prime minister from 2008 to 2012, he once again ran for president of Russia when chaos ensued. In December 2011, Vladimir Putin came closer than he's ever been to losing his hold on power. His decision that year to run for a third term as Russia's president had inspired a massive protest movement against him. Demonstrations calling for him to resign were attracting hundreds of thousands of people across the country. Some of his closest allies had defected to the opposition, causing a split in the Kremlin elites, and Russian state media had begun to warn of a revolution in the making. At a crisis meeting with his advisers on December 8th of that year, the Russian leader chose to lay the blame on one meddling foreign diplomat, US Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. She set the tone for certain actors inside the country. She gave the signal, Putin said of Clinton at the time, accusing her of ordering the opposition movement into action like some kind of revolutionary sleeper cell. They heard this signal with the support of the US State Department started actively doing their work. This is very reminiscent, and this is my comment, of what we're seeing in, a, in Russia with all these p- peace protests. And, you know, we're, we're hearing that uh, Putin is having these people arrested. But this could be a repetition of what he was up against in 2011. And then it's got an article by Politico, but of course... Politico is definitely, uh, you know, very left-wing. It just highlights a couple of things from there, and it says it's highlighted with the support of the U.S. State Department. And it goes on to say Putin sees Clinton as a forceful proponent of regime change policies that the Russian leader considers a grave threat to his own survival. 
He was very upset with Clinton and continued to be for the rest of the time that I was in government, said Michael McFall, who served as the top Russia official in Obama's National Security Council from 2009 to December 2011 and then was US ambassador to Moscow until early 2014. One could speculate that this is his moment for payback. The moment for payback referred to here is the discredited Russian collusion hoax. It's important for you to understand that President Vladimir Putin blamed Hillary Clinton and the US State Department for trying to force regime change in Russia during the 2012 election. This led Putin to despise Hillary and the United States, interfering in Russian affairs, but his hatred began even before the 2012 election. Then it goes on to describe um, what was happening during Obama's uh, presidency with Hillary Clinton um, getting very cosy with uh, Medvedev when Putin was actually in the prime minister's slot. And of course, we know about Uranium One and we also know that it was Hillary Clinton that organised the, um, the Russian hoax dossier. Putin sees the deep state for what they are, for who they are. He knows exactly how they operate. He has been making moves against them long before Trump became president and he was successful in removing some major cogs of the deep state machine from his own country. In September of 2014, Putin arrested a Russian oligarch to prevent a coup and it wasn't the first time he had gone after a Russian oligarch. Russian oligarchs arrest a warning from Putin, says hedge fund boss. Kremlin move against Vladimir Yevtushenkov is warning against a palace coup to protect any tycoon shrinking wealth, says Bill Browder. The Russian oligarchs can be compared to the Mark Zuckerbergs of America, and those American oligarchs played a major role in stealing the 2020 election from Trump. The secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. Private philanthropy stepped into the breach. An assortment of foundations contributed tens of millions in election administration funding. The Chan Zuckerberg Initiative chipped in 300 million. Uh, from Free Beacon, Soros triples election spending, pouring $70 million into 2020 efforts. From Open Secrets, outside spending in 2020 elections surpasses $1 billion on track to break records. So when Putin was going after those oligarchs in Russia, he was stopping the same kind of political interference that the American oligarchs perpetrated against Trump. In November of 2015, Putin banned George Soros' Open Society Foundation from Russia. In February of 2019, Putin flat out asserted that there was a deep state working against Trump. Putin was right. In Devolution Part 12, I covered the deep state and the colour revolution they perpetrated against Trump during his presidency. Putin sees colour revolutions as a threat to national security and in January of 2022 stated they will not allow outside forces to interfere in the internal affairs of our states. Russia-led military bloc will not allow colour revolutions in post-Soviet countries, Putin. A Moscow-led military detachment deployed to Kazakhstan to quell the worst anti-government unrest in the post-Soviet country's history will not allow colour revolutions to take place, Russian President Vladimir Putin said Monday. He accused unidentified outside forces of interfering in the internal affairs of our states, echoing the Kazakh authorities' latest claims of foreign links in the unrest. Frenemies. It's clear that both Presidents Trump and Putin have been fighting the same enemy. But have we answered the question this article is focused on? Is it possible that both Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin are working together to defeat their shared enemy, the deep state? They have aligned to defeat a shared enemy before. Trump aligning with Putin against ISIS doesn't make them BFFs. It's hard to know the full scope of their alliance to defeat ISIS. We aren't privy to classified information. And then he includes an article, um, Who Defeated ISIS? An Analysis of US and Russian Contributions. 
It's irrelevant to me which country contributed the most to defeating ISIS. The most important takeaway is that Trump and Putin set out to defeat a threat common to both their countries. If they worked together to fight a common enemy before, it's easy to draw the conclusion that they could do so again. This brings us to the current situation and is included a video of Trump and Mike Pompeo. And he says, Trump and Pompeo clearly respect Putin. So what is really happening in Ukraine? It's impossible to know, but I'm happy to add to the general speculation. The circumstantial evidence I laid out in Devolution Part 17 allows us to surmise that Ukraine is the epicentre of deep state corruption. And Bernard 71 in his article says, Putin is not seeking expansion, he is seeking strategic restoration and to liberate Ukrainians from Nazi fascism. On February 24, 2022, Putin announced the launching of his forces into Ukraine. Putin using false Nazi narrative to justify Russia's attack on Ukraine, experts say. And this is a, qu a quote from another article. Uh, here Putin chooses an interesting word. He specifically says he is striving for denazification in Kiev. This comment was further solidified by a statement put out on Twitter by the Russian embassy in Canada. This account is verified on Twitter and listed as a Russia government organization. Uh, and it shows the statements that were put out. Um, Russia continues its special military operation to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. The Russian army does not occupy Ukrainian territory and takes all measures to preserve the lives and safety of civilians. The strikes are targeting military facilities only, being carried out exclusively with high-precision weapons. We are witnessing an unprecedented wave of lies, fake news, distorted and fabricated facts aimed at discrediting our actions. Goebbels-style Western propaganda was predictable. It cannot be trusted. The public in Canada should understand that. The truth is different. Crimes against humanity and violations of international humanitarian law are committed by the armed forces of Ukraine and such neo-Nazi groups as Azov, Right Sector and others. The multiple evidence is available in open sources. The Ukrainian side is deploying multiple launch rocket systems and artillery in the courtyards of residential buildings, hospitals, schools and kindergartens. The armed forces of Ukraine, nationalist and neo-Nazi groups use civilian infrastructure and population as human shields. It is essential to understand the rationale behind these actions. The Ukrainian authorities and its Western patrons are committing monstrous and inhuman provocation in order to put all the blame on Russia. In fact, the full responsibility for the destruction and innocent victims lies with the regime in Kiev. The Russian army is fighting neither Ukraine nor the Ukrainians. The tasks to clear Ukraine of Nazism and to demilitarize it will be accomplished. Those responsible for genocide and eight years long war started by Kiev against its own people, silently watched and frequently encouraged by the West, will be brought to justice. Russia is not starting wars, Russia is ending them. They again state that their goal is to denazify Ukraine. They call out the fake news and Goebbels-style Western propaganda. The line at the very end also stuck out to me. Russia is not starting wars, Russia is ending them. Doesn't that sound familiar? Trump repeatedly discussed ending endless wars. And then he goes on to show that um, this Azov group was actually funded by Kolomoisky. And he says, remember what we learned about Kolomoisky in Devolution Part 17? Um, and it was that Kolomoisky was involved with Burisma. So let's connect all the dots here. Putin say he is striving for the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine. The Russian embassy in Canada releases a statement saying they are ending wars rather than starting them in similar manner to Trump. The Russian embassy statement reinforces that Russia's goal is the denazification of Ukraine and specifically names the neo-Nazi group Azov. Azov was funded by Kolomoisky. Kolomoisky is almost certainly the owner of Burisma. 
Burisma hired Hunter Biden, Joe Biden as VP withholds $1 billion in loan guarantees to get the prosecutor looking into Burisma fired. Putin's denazification of Ukraine connects to Joe Biden's entire Ukraine scandal. Think about how significant this connection is. Putin has declared war on Nazism in Ukraine, and I believe this is a common enemy he shares with Trump. Closing. There is a fascinating substack series titled Prussiagate that makes an extremely compelling argument for who Trump's hidden enemy really is. And there's an extract uh, from the article included, but I'm going to go past that. Has Trump been hinting at a war against fascism and Nazism this whole time? The Prussiagate series makes a convincing argument for that being the case, and it sheds light on the reality of Ukraine. If Ukraine is truly the deep state epicentre, at some point someone has to go in and remove the rot from within. Sometimes to remove a cancer, you have to go in and cut it out. Maybe that is exactly what Russia is doing. The timing of this effort is so important. Putin has sought to liberate the post-Soviet countries from Nazi fascism for decades. He invaded such countries during the tenure of every president we have had going back to the year 2000, except for one, Trump. Russia invaded George under Bush. Russia invaded Crimean Peninsula of Ukraine under Obama. Russia invaded Ukraine under Biden. Russia invaded no one under Trump. And that's a tweet from Tim Nedley. Putin's goals of liberating post-Soviet countries didn't change during Trump's time as president. So why didn't he invade Ukraine earlier? Could it actually be that in Trump, Putin finally found an ally to fight against the deep state and the hidden enemy? Invading Ukraine on Trump's watch would have been a political disaster. Trump told us he was going to get us out of wars. Publicly, that's exactly what he did. Remember, the most important aspect of the 2020 election was that Donald Trump won in a massive landslide. If it hadn't been a landslide, the deep state wouldn't have had to cheat so brazenly and the fraud wouldn't be so obvious. If Trump needed a landslide, then he couldn't afford any major political setbacks. He was already up against constant attacks and lies from the MSM, the Democrats, big tech, social media, etc. He got his landslide anyway. Even Russia says the election was stolen. And he then links to a video of the Russian ambassador to the UN saying, and with the support of the United States, where the legitimately elected president of the country was overthrown. A Russian incursion into Ukraine on Trump's watch would have been certainly been a political nightmare that could have derailed that landslide. Now with Biden in office, there is no better time to deliver a critical blow to the enemy, a massive red pill to the masses, while annihilating the deep state in the process. I'm merely making connections, trying to figure out what I think is happening in Ukraine. I still don't have all the answers, but I do know this. The MSM has lied to us about Russian collusion, spygate, impeachment, COVID-19, Biden corruption, Hunter Biden laptop, election fraud, January 6th, every single aspect of Joe Biden's presidency. I could go on and on. So when the MSM is telling us that Russia and Putin are the enemy, I can be almost certain that they are not. I can't tell you definitively that Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin are working together. I am not privy to their private conversations. However, they have a shared goal and they share a common enemy. This wouldn't be the first time these two have set out to defeat a common enemy to reach such a shared goal. The deep state is the greatest enemy of the United States of America. The deep state is also the sworn enemy of Russia. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The best is yet to come. And um, just finally, I haven't had time to share this with you in this show uh, it's a Red Voice Media video, and it's actually French, but it does have subtitles. Woman stuns French media when she tells her truth. The opposite of big media's Ukraine narrative. So she's basically confirming that all the stuff we're hearing on the news about the um, Ukraine situation is false. And... It's also very disappointing to see a lot of this being parroted 
by um, the kind of news organizations that I share um, articles from, such as Epoch Times and Gateway Pundit and so on, which seem to be following this same narrative about what's going on in Ukraine. So if I haven't uh, shared any <laughs> Epoch Times articles in the last couple of shows, that's why. So anyway, I've run out of time. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that information is useful. I know I find it very good, the analysis that is done by Patel Patriot. And you can subscribe to his uh, Substack channel. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me for Wednesday's edition where I'll have more news. And um, a quick reminder, you can find me at the successalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, and empoweredmanifestation.com. Thank you, as always, to Nancy for producing. Stay well, be safe, and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality a production of CosmicReality.com.